I actually do. Please, I love you to turn to your own Bible, your own iPad, phone, whatever it may be, but I do have it on the screen as well. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, sometimes it's really good before you read a book of the Bible just to take a little time to explore what that book is about. And Galatians is a great book. It's, it's, um, Paul, Paul is writing to not just one church, sometimes we think it's just one church, but in this particular instance in Galatians, it's actually not just one church, it's many churches in the area of Galatia. And so he's writing to many churches. And the interesting theme about the six chapters of Galatians is this, is that they were running well. They, were, they, came to, they, they had a belief in God, a belief in Christ, and faith was building in their lives. And, uh, and then Paul, uh, in this letter, outlines that something cut in on them, something diverted them, something stopped them, and they started to revert back to old traditions and habits and old formulas and ceremonies. And one of the things that Paul refers to, he refers to, hey, you know, you went back to that ceremony of, of circumcision. And he says, you know, that's, uh, that's, that there was, it was a time for that. That's under the law. That was good. But now faith is more important. It builds on that law, doesn't it? It builds on the old ceremonies, the old um, things that we used to do. He says, you know, you can't win God's approval by being circumcised. And it's a, a little bit of a picture of you can't win God's approval by works. God couldn't love you any more than he does this morning. In actual fact, he, you know, you've said it, heard it before, he can't love you any less. You can't do anything bad enough to let him love you any less. I am glad of that, anybody else this morning. So, you know, so Paul says, come on, guys, you were, you were kind of going really well, and now you've diverted back to these old uh, habits and these old ceremonies, and they're not going to win you any brownie points of God because he just loves you full stop. And he says, come on, and he, and he talks about the spirit in the flesh many times in Galatians. He says, you know, walk in the spirit and you'll not, what, fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And, and whenever you hear the word flesh, it's, it's a little bit of a play on words because it, it, it can refer to the reality of, you know, that little ceremony of circumcision, which is a cutting away of the what? Flesh. You know, it's a cutting away of the flesh. And he says no longer, um, it says in other books of the Bible, no longer it's a physical circumcision. It needs to be a circumcision of the heart. It's the circum and so Paul outlines this and he he kind of gives them a fair good old rebuke, to be honest. And he, he says, come on, guys. It was kind of like you were running well. Who cut in on you? Come on, come back to faith. Come back to trusting in Jesus. Not some ceremony, not some tradition, not some just a, 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 um, something that has been in your past. So with that in mind, let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 16 to 25. It says this, I say then, Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the what? Come on, flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the, flesh, uh, the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, uh, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, evil, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I think he just about covers everything, doesn't he? That humanity has thought up, <laughs> or done, or been involved in. And he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, he says, you know, 
time passed, and now I've got to tell you again, because you're reverting back to some of these practices. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then 22, here's the good news. Everybody say, good news. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, these are, these are elements of faith, aren't they? These are not just rules and regulations. These are things of the heart, uh, these things. Verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also, come on, what? Walk in the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. I read an article about a gentleman called Leslie Puckett quite a few years ago, and it's always amazed me, this story. Leslie is uh, English. He lives in London. And he got up like he did every other morning to go to work. He jumped in his car, he went to work. He parked his car a couple blocks away from his work because inner city London, if you've ever been there, is quite congested. So he parked it in a little lane and in about the same area where he always tries to park it. And then he walked the last couple of blocks to work. work. He went to work for the day, he finished work, he came back out of his office block and he walked towards his car, he got his key, turned the key, opened the uh, door of his car, hopped in, put the seatbelt on, put his key in the ignition and went in the car, he went to start and it just was nothing, it didn't start. He thought, that's strange, this car was working this morning. And yeah, I mean, when I say nothing, there was just not even a... You ever started your car and it goes... It didn't do that. <laughs> So he fiddled with the ignition thinking maybe it's an electronic problem, maybe oh, something's happened, I don't know. And he fiddled with it a couple of minutes, it still just wouldn't turn over. He thought maybe it's the fuse box. And so he got the fuse box underneath the dash and he looked at the fuse of the ignition and it seemed okay, but he, he just swapped it out anyway and put a new one in there. Put it in the fuse box, put the keys in the ignition and just nothing, just dead. He was certainly confused. This car had been so faithful to him, it had worked for the last four or five years it hadn't been a problem so he had a couple of his work colleagues he thought I know what it is it's a flat battery it's so dead we'll we'll get it started we'll push start it a couple of his colleagues pushed him up the road they pushed him down the road they pushed him up the road they pushed 45 minutes later after all these things he finally thought this is ridiculous this is going nowhere so he thought I'll check under the bonnet it's always a good idea isn't it Every mechanic says, check under, he should have checked under the bonnet to start with, maybe. Anyway, he lifts the lid on his bonnet of his car, and to his incredible amazement, <laughs> wait for it, <laughs> there's no engine, someone has stolen it. <laughs> Someone's stolen the engine out of his little four-cylinder. Now, Dave, how long does it take to get rid of an engine? I don't know. <laughs> but it had been stolen. He says that, he, he was not only... He was not only kind of angry, he was totally amazed. How do you do that? <laughs> I've never heard of that happening. Maybe it only happens in London. Someone steals the engine out of your car. But you know, it, it, every respectful purpose is Leslie got in that car, it felt like a car, it, it, it looked like a car. It, it, everything about it was a car, but it just didn't have the heart of a car because the engine was gone. Is that true? The motor was gone. It was never going to start unless God done a miracle. Um, everything about that car was a car, but until you really got down to it, 
it just wasn't really going to go anywhere because the motor was not there. The very, in a sense, the heart of the whole thing was not there at all. And you know, I, I'm just very aware of that as people of God, that sometimes that we go through life, we look like a Christian, we talk like a Christian, we sing like a Christian, we act like a Christian, we even go to church like a Christian. But you know what? Sometimes I find that if we haven't got the heart that is the power source, we're not going to do so well. If we just haven't got the, if we haven't got the power source, and you know the power source is continually to- talked about in Scripture, it says it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's God's presence in our life. It's His empowering in our hearts. It's His, His strength in us. Because I know that my man, this old man, the old flesh, continually wants to screen the things to do. But we have a God who continually says, hey, more of me and you adds up to a pretty good life. It doesn't mean it'll be um, void of trials or struggles. But I tell you what, I am greater in you than, the, than anything the world can ever dish, it, dish up, if you will allow it. So you, we see that... We can look so good, but have we got the power source under the bonnet? Have we got His Holy Spirit in us? And look, for all of us, um, we would say yes, but I've come to understand Paul was declaring something in Galatians a little bit more than just a one-off thing. He was saying, would you actually not just have this power source on, on, on the days it's really good, but would you have it actually every day when you walk through life? Not just last week when maybe Dion Hockey was here, but this week as well. This, not, because it's easy sometimes to go with the flow when everything is happening and God is moving and touching lives. Well, why can't God be moving and touching lives again today? And then even tomorrow when we wake up and go to work. You know, God wants to be your engine every day of your life. Because it says in Acts, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, you will be endowed with power power, not just to be witnesses, which is a great thing, but also just to live powerful Christian lives. And Paul says, come on, it's, a, it's actually not just a, an event, it's a journey, it's a walking in the Spirit, a walking every day. In actual fact, every moment, every minute, every part of your life um, is this opportunity. And you know, I've said to myself, and I say it again, I've said it on several occasions, if only we didn't have the flesh... That's why Paul says, cut it off, um, or cut it out. <laughs> but uh, if we didn't have the flesh, the second piece of cheesecake wouldn't be a temptation. I know that's a minor thing, because often I had the second piece of cheesecake. And, you know, but if we didn't have the flesh, you wouldn't have to deal with our toxic attitude. See? If we didn't have the flesh, maybe we wouldn't have trouble loving other people. Uh, we didn't have the f- flesh, you give, me the, you give me a myriad of reasons if we just didn't have the flesh. Oh God, why do we have the flesh? It's a reality. It's a reality, isn't it? And so I, I, the Bible actually says we can have a form of godliness, but even, but even deny, have a lack of power, deny the power to be godly. In other words, we can be Christians, but God doesn't want just Christian. He wants an empowered Christian. He wants a Holy Ghost full Christian. He wants you to live daily. And it's not living at some level that's above everybody else. It's living naturally supernatural in your life, with Him in your life. I was, Michelle came back, and she's not here, so I can talk about her. That's always good, isn't it? Um, so you don't tell her. Because often when I talk about her, you go and tell her, and she says, what did you say today? I say, don't say that. Anyway... 
she's out shopping the other day and she, this is before last week the hockey and she just sees this young lady uh, at Woolworths and she just she has this what we would probably call a word of knowledge and so and she felt this young lady had a sore neck and so she just casually walks up to her and says excuse me honey I, look she's about 16 she says have you got a sore neck and she goes yeah how did you know she says oh look I'm, I'm just a Christian I just was wondering whether I could pray for you what now yeah yeah do you mind um no Michelle puts a hand on her neck she prays for her just with her eyes open Lord in the name of Jesus you see this precious young lady she needs your love and she needs your touch to heal her neck amen she says how's that feel oh okay I can still feel a bit sore she says okay well I'm continue to pray for you so it wasn't healed instantly but I just think that that's just natural supernatural I think that's the empowering of the Holy Spirit where we just walk around through life not becoming something that's um, creepy spooky or whatever but just totally full of God's Holy Ghost taking every opportunity to love our community love each other amen um so this morning uh, can we just talk about walking in the Spirit? Can we just for a moment, i just got some points I want to share with you, just some thoughts today. I want to encourage us, build us up, to realize that it's very doable, very much able, uh, but there's some things that we, we do need to play in our part. And they all start with the letter D, that makes it really simple, D, okay? So how are we going to walk in the Spirit every day and every hour of our lives? Is that possible? Yes, it is. How can we do it? The Bible says, pray constantly in Ephesians I think how do you do that well you can't literally be talking to God all the time but you know you can have you can have just have a heart of communion with him you know you can be talking to someone else and saying father you know it, it's possible as well and you know it really just starts with just being aware that he's there all the time because I know I, I can start my day with a bit of a quiet time and have Bible reading and then I get into the day even as a pastor and I just get focused on the job and I think just wait a second got to pull myself up here where is God involved in all of this I just get busy hey focused so my first thought here is decide to keep focused D decide to keep focused see verse 16 says walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh see the word walk means to follow really simple stuff just to follow follow who follow God's God's Holy Spirit follow his presence the word of God says the Holy Spirit is a comforter he's a teacher he's there for us Jesus might have gone but we have the Holy Spirit we can be led and so decide today to keep focused because really walking is deciding that every day every hour I'm just going to keep focus on who on him because I'm going to walk with him not apart from him not in a different direction the the word of God uh, let's just uh, flick through these the Bible says it reform a godliness but lacks the power to be godly Proverbs 4 I love this it says give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways do not turn to the right or to the left keep your foot from evil so there we say come on give careful thought to the path that you're walking on it's not a literal path usually but it's a mind path it's a thought path give careful thought to where you walk where you take your mind give careful thought to where you allow keep your focus on the right thing and not on the wrong thing pretty simple isn't it just keep your focus keep your focus see last week was easy to keep my focus man I was with you guys all week we're worshiping God every night seeing God touch light that was easy but this week I haven't got you in my bedroom to worship and I don't really want you in my bedroom 
<laughs> to worship. But you know what I'm saying? We've got to put fire, water in our own fire, don't we? Come on. Every, you know, we've got to do it ourselves. Uh, so it says, be careful. Thought to the, give thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast. The American uh, farmers in the western part of America, um, many, many decades ago, came across a pretty major problem, and that was they had crafty coyotes eating all their sheep. Not all of them, but uh, the truth was is that uh, the coyotes were killing tens of thousands of their sheep and diminishing their profits. I mean, I'm talking decades and decades ago, 50, 60 years ago. So they had to come up with some answers on how to stop the coyotes from destroying their sheep um, herds. And so they, they started to do things like odor sprays. And they thought, they spray enough odor around, that'll keep the coyotes away. It, it didn't really have the desired effect. They put electric fences up, and even that didn't stop the coyotes from eating the, uh, coming in and killing the sheep and eating them. Still, thousands and thousands of sheep were dying. Until a couple smart farmers come up with a, a, a wonderful plan, and the plan was to um, bring in an animal called a llama. Ever seen a llama? They're an interesting animal. When a llama sees something in the, in the distance, it pops its head up and walks towards it. It doesn't seem to have fear. You watch a llama. You ever seen a llama retreat? I never have. And, you know, they'll pop their head up and they'll walk towards it. Now, that to a coyote is aggressive behavior. So every time they put llamas in the, in the fields, in the um, paddocks with the sheep, and coyotes come along, the llama would automatically get inquisitive. It, whether, the llama is either really dumb or just fearless, I don't know, but it had walked towards the coyote, and, it, and, and, and the coyote just saw this as aggressive behavior, and so it'd run away. Less and less sheep were being killed, simply through this one simple act of buying in llamas. Now, coyotes opportunists. The devil's an opportunist. He'll take every opportunity to pull you down, to kill, to steal, and destroy your life. The coyote's like that. He'll just see an opportunity. He'll try and take it. Alarmers take away the opportunity. They take away the opportunity of the coyote to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I want to tell you, when you place your brain and your mind and your thought patterns and decide to keep focused on that which you need to be focused on, thinking on those things that are good and pure and right and just and holy, as Philippians 4, 8 says, it says, as you, Philippians 4, 7, I think it is, as you place your brain in the right I tell you what, you take away the opportunity the devil tries to take over you. Your mind is the battlefield, isn't it? And as you continue, you, you know, if there's ever going to walk in the Spirit, you keep this right, this clean, this whole, and I tell you, you won't help but walk in His presence. Can't help but take away the opportunity from the devil because our thoughts, if they turn to the gutter or some other thought pattern and, and it's not good, it'll be an opportunity the devil will take. He doesn't force you to think that. Did you know that? We decide to think those wrong thoughts and he'll take the opportunity to move in on you. So we're going to be, and our flesh will as well. I've discovered something really wonderful. It's really simple. Just submit to God. Keep my thoughts on God. Resist the devil and the devil automatically flees. He automatically flees. Um, it's so easy. See, it just says in Psalm, in Psalm 1. Oh, what happened? There we go. It's up there, but not up here. In Psalm 1, it says, the, the psalmist meditated day and night on the truth. They're working hard to fix it. That's fine. 
Someone says, he, the psalmist says, I meditate day and night on the what? Truth. On the truth. On the truth. And uh, in other words, I, take, I continue to fill this gray matter here with light and, exting- and automatically it extinguishes the darkness. You know, I've discovered that, you know, you walk into a dark room, you can't fight the darkness. It's your, you know, you literally can't fight it. You can't do anything to fight it. You can't stop the darkness. But if you walk over to the switch on the wall and go, flick, darkness has to be expelled. So what are you going to do to fight darkness? Turn on the light. So if you've got more light in you than darkness, darkness has to go, I tell you. That's the truth. This morning when someone walked into this building, it was reasonably dark. Apart from the light coming through the windows there or the glass, someone flicked the light on and it became light. Darkness had to go. It's that simple. Sometimes we spend all our time focused on, I'm going to beat this and I'm going to beat that. I've got to get this. Folks, get your mind off what you've got to beat and your mind on who has already beaten it. That's Jesus Christ. Focus. Keep your focus. Keep your focus. The mind controlled by the... Romans 8, 6. It says, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. The mind controlled by the Spirit in the NIV says it's life and it's peace. Peace. Isn't that good? Controlled by the Spirit of God. And in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, your life is shaped by your thoughts. Proverbs 4.23, your life is shaped by your thoughts. Ever watched a, a food commercial on television and suddenly felt hungry? That's the power of suggestion. And whatever grabs your attention grabs you. That's the reality of it, isn't it? Simple, simply saying, I must stop eating this or I must stop doing that or I must, you know, it's never going to be the answer. It just keeps you thinking about what you don't want Instead of trying to remove the thoughts, replace them. I think you've got the point, replace them. And once you focus on something good, evil begins to lose its grip on our lives. Only by our focus and our mind. Amen. The psalmist says, keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Psalm 119 verse 37. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. So there we go. It takes discipline. It takes uh, practice. But that is walking in the Spirit of God. Okay, here's the second thought this morning. Not only decide to stay focused, but here's the second thought. Detect temptations. Detect temptations. Be aware of yourself. Sometimes we're so busy in life that we just don't slow down long enough just to consider what the way we're thinking and the way we're going because we're so, um, you know, just... Sometimes you just got to slow down and just be aware. It says, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Don't be una- don't, do, do be aware, but don't be unaware of that. Be aware. And the way he works is temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Isn't that good news? We're all tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Um, so verse 17 in this passage of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, we do the things we don't want to do. How many times have I said that to myself? I've just done the thing I said I would never do. Or I've did something, I just didn't want to do that. How does that happen in my life? Well, it only happens through temptation. Very simple. Temptation. See, we never engage in sin without giving it permission through the realm of temptation. Um, And uh, pity me. Oh, here we go. Can I flick it through now to number eight? Not working. 
Well done. Everybody give a hand to our sound people. They're great people. Yep, brilliant. Oh, there it is. Here's slide eight. James 1.14. Come on. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Something... And even verse 24 of Galatians says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a word that both of those verses use, it's the word desires. Do you know, temptation is not the problem for us, it's desires that's the problem. See, um, the real cause of temptation is not the television program you're watching, or the glossy magazine advertising, or the things you shouldn't see, or the things you shouldn't eat, or the things you shouldn't do. That's not the problem. Temptation isn't the problem, it's the desires of your heart that's the problem. Because if there's no desire, it's just another glossy magazine. And it's not a problem. See, what can be one um, problem to one is not a problem to the other. It doesn't mean that you need to go and go, well, I can look at what I like. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that temptation isn't a problem. It's the desire that comes with the temptation that's the problem. It's the heart. See, Paul said in Galatians, come on. It's this this circumcision of the heart that we've got to sort out. Um, We're drawn away by our own desires, James says. You're enticed by your desires. You're tempted and your desires take over. Um, It's it's something we've got to realize. Sometimes we say, oh, temptation, I hate it. No, 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 folks, don't be hassled about temptation. Just learn to become stronger and just say, no. I don't need it. In other words, have more of God in you and I tell you it becomes a lot easier to say no. More of His presence in our life. You know what I've discovered? It's the small things that we take for granted that we have to be careful of sometimes that can just build up. Enemy is not a, he's not a confrontationist. He's a schemer. And so he'll just, just, just bit by bit take ground out of your, take off, off you, ground off your life. You know, just sometimes. And, and, then, you know, and then it can lead to a downward spiral of sin as we continue to allow that thing to become bigger and bigger in our life. But it just starts small. There's an interesting story uh, about an Englishman. I love Englishmen. They do the craziest things. Bobby Leach. If anybody knows that name, you would associate with Niagara Falls. Bobby Leach was the first guy to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. And he survived. I'm, I've, never, I've seen pictures of Niagara Falls. I get scared just looking at the picture, let alone a barrel over Niagara Falls. So this guy has gone over Niagara Falls, lived, survived, and amazing feat. Everybody was there. I gathered it was, he must have made some money out of it. He's walking through his own town not long after he's gone over the falls in a barrel, and he's an orange peel on the ground. He slips on it, falls over, fractures his leg. Not badly, but he fractures his leg. He ends up in a hospital. I'm thinking, how does that work? How does a man that takes on Niagara Falls then seem to slip up on the smallest little piece of orange peel? That's exactly what the devil does. You see, you and I prepare for the big things. We know to say no. Oh, no, no, I know. When it confronts us, we say, that's not where I'm going. But it's just the little things that want to bring us down. It's just the little stuff that we might just slip on every now and then. And if you don't deal with it, it gets a little bit bigger. And the Bible says the devil gets a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. It's much like a person who you want to slam the door on and they just stick their foot in the door and you can't get the door shut. It's because they got their foot there and before you know it, they got two feet and then they got half a body. I was, 
I sometimes, no, we won't go there. But you know, the reality is the enemy. <laughs> I was just thinking of a situation yesterday when I was spending some time with Lydia and chasing her through the house and she wanted to get away from me. Anyway, that's let's live. It was all good. It wasn't, we were having fun. Um, but anyway, come on. We frequently brought down by a minor skirmish, not a major battle. Not a major battle. And it's the little temptations that can eventually bring us down. It can all start to go so, be so very innocent, and yet it can start to take control. So not only do we decide to stay focused if we're going to walk in God's spirit, we're going to detect the temptation. Just detect that it's a temptation. And detect that, hey, I've got to keep heart out of this. It's just a temptation. Walk away from it. Here's the third thing and the last thing this morning. It's the D, another D word. Not only do you decide to stay focused, not only to detect the temptation, but draw near to God. Just draw near to God. Um, verse 25 of Galatians chapter 5 says, We live in the Spirit. This is the second, right at the last verse of Galatians chapter 5, 25. The last one I read this morning. It says, not only, it says, not only live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. An interesting thought here. The word live in the Spirit, we think, well, what's that about? Do you know that's just basically talking about life? It's just basically talking about the incredible God that we serve who actually gives us breath to live. He says, you know, every, you know, everyone on the face of the earth, did you realize, has life in them because God allows it. Even those who don't acknowledge Him, even those who, don't who won't have a bar of God, He is so gracious, He gives them breath to live. He gives them breath. So if we're going to live in the Spirit, so that's what it's saying, if you've got breath today, if you've got a life to live, why not walk, now take the next step, if you've got life, walk that life in the Spirit of God. And the word, the word walk here is not like the first one that just said follow, this one is to actually walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to walk like a, a military uh, rank and army that's, that, you know, ever seen an army march together? And they, they march with precision. Every leg is lifted at the same time. It's precision. It's everything about it is commitment and obedience to what that, that they do together. And, and God says here, that's the kind of walk I'm talking about right here in verse 25 of Galatians 5, to, to walk in military style, to walk in rank and to walk in step with me perfectly. I think, man, that's another level, isn't it? God's saying, come on, to follow him, to keep in step with him. Um, and as we go through this passage, I, I find it incredibly interesting. And I took note of the fact that when we, the Bible says, um, don't indulge the, the flesh, it says, it says this in, in Galatians 5, it says, the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know... Sin takes a lot toll on your life. It's a work. It might be pleasurable at start, but sin, come on, sin takes work to maintain. It takes work. And, and, and Paul says it's the works of the flesh because it's going to take effort and work. And, you know, because the truth is, is you get into condemnation and you, and you get into feeling bad and guilt and shame. And, and all those things have a toll upon your life. Would you agree? It takes work to maintain a sinful lifestyle. That's what Paul's saying. But he says, no, it's, but for the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
Do you know, all you've got to do is just live in obedience and fruit will grow naturally. You know, I don't have to do anything to grow mandarin trees in my mandarin tree, except maybe water it and fertilize it. it. They just grow naturally. I don't stand out there in the mandarin tree, hold the branch and say, come on, spit out a little mandarin. Come on. It does it, does it naturally. See, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And Do you know, you don't have to sometimes ask God, give me more love. Give me more patience. Don't ask God for patience. <laughs> He'll give it to you. Um, and you mightn't like it. But I tell you, you don't have to ask for those things. You've just got to be obedient to Him and you'll find it'll grow naturally. Yeah. Fruit grows naturally. And as you allow the fruit to grow, you're walking in His Spirit. In, 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 in step with Him. See, there's a number of... Uh, let me just take you here for a moment. There's a number of people in the Bible who said, there's one thing I want to do in life. There's one thing I'm going to make sure I do. And let me just go through them with you. Um, David said this. Obviously, I'm not in control of this. One thing I have desired of the Lord. There's one thing that I will seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the, one, uh, of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David said, of all the things I want to do, there's one thing I'm going to make sure I do. I mean, God's presence, okay? Walking in His Spirit. Um, now, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, 13, he says, This one thing I do, which was the pursuit of the uh, upward, call of the call, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, There's one thing I'm going to make sure. I'm going to do a lot of things in life, but the one thing that I'm really going to do is I'm going to pursue the call of God in my life. I'm going to stay in His presence. Mary and Martha were feeding Jesus one day, and in Luke chapter 10, 42, Mary of Bethany discovered one thing is needed, Jesus said. One thing is needed. He was talking to Martha at the time, and Mary has chosen the good thing, and that is to be at my feet in my presence. And look, you're, you're committed to making the meal. That's fine, Martha, but Mary has chosen the one thing that is good. Don't rebuke her for that. And I want to be a Christian of the one thing. I want to make sure that I get that one thing right. I don't always get it perfect, but God, I think God's heart is that we would be the Christians of the one thing. One thing. All of hell will stand against you becoming a man or woman of one thing, and that is being in His presence every day, all the time, being aware of it. You don't have to walk around. Um, maybe with, you know, um, it's not going to create a halo around your head. God's not interested in show. He just wants you to walk in His presence. See, Circumstances will distract you, folks. Your to-do list will mushroom. The demands of your life will escalate. Satan will employ whatever it takes to keep you from becoming a person of the one thing. Being in his presence, walking in the spirit. Because if you become a person of the one thing, you become a firebrand for your God. A firebrand. Not some super freaky, uh, but just a firebrand. Passionate, aware of what God's speaking, God's saying. You see, a person who knows that God will do great exploits. Exploits. The one thing. Team, if you can come, that'd be great. One thing. This week I just uh, traveled. Uh, on Monday I got up really early and I went with Tians Van der Westen in our church. And both of us went to a national conference for street chaplaincy. And, uh, and, and all of the costs were covered. It was incredibly incredible blessing but we had to go all the way to Perth so we flew to Perth on Monday and we went um, and uh, three days of the conference and we, I got back um, Thursday morning back in Gladstone at 10 30 while we were in Perth 
um, we didn't actually stay in Perth. We stayed in this uh, little um, cabins kind of resort thing just an hour outside of Perth. And, and then one afternoon, we had a free afternoon, and they put us all in a bus, and they took us to a town called New Norcia. Has anybody ever heard of New Norcia? There's a couple of us. Okay. Great. I never knew it existed until they literally said, we're going to New Norcia. It was only half an hour drive because we we're already out of Perth an hour. And so we went to this town, and this town is interesting because it's, it was built in the 18th, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and was continuing to be built right up to the start of the 19th century. And even in the 19th century, they continued to build it. But the interesting thing was, it was built by Catholic monks. The whole, the whole town is self, was self-sufficient. Bakeries, McKenna, everything was there, and they Catholic monks built. And, and a man called El, a monk, Catholic monk called El Salvador, came there about 19, 1847. And was a missionary from Italy, and he got to Perth, and they said, "Well, go and find some precious Aboriginal folk, and just support them and help them." And and so he, he cut his way through the bush, and he found a tribe, and he just he was a, had some medical um, um, kind of stuff behind him. He was able to help them, and he became friends with this tribe, and he just supported them. And out of that, he provided houses and built stuff, and 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 out of all that, this town evolved. And of course. Aboriginal people don't live there because they don't need that anymore. They're self-efficient. They can do what they want in that area. That's not a problem. But this whole town evolved. And so the, the original Catholic monk was a real go into all the world. He was one of those guys. And so we went to this town this day and we were taken for a tour through it. And we're given a very special privilege because we were street chaplains. The, there's 11 monks who are still practicing in the monastery there in this town. 11 of them. And I was interested. Hello. You're much cuter than me. So they're going to look at you more than me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and this, these 11 monks were still living in the town. Now somewhere in their lives they'd forgotten what their founder had done because I still thought, because they were... These monks lived there for their entire life. And every three years, they were given three weeks to go somewhere else and have a holiday. But they, once they made their vows, this is where they stayed. They lived in this town. And we had the privilege of having afternoon tea with them. And I was a little bit like, oh, what are these guys going to be like? Monks, what are they going to be? I've never met a monk, but I'm keen to meet one. And they range from the age of 35 to 80. And the abbot, the head monk, is 51. And when I we met them for afternoon tea... They provided all the food for us, very humble circumstances, just in this little building. They had their black robes and their sandals on, but there, was, there were Australians, there were Aussies. And as I spoke to the 35-year-old monk, he'd come from Townsville, he was following the cowboys. He <laughs> was, was pretty real. And as I started to speak to him, I said, what do, you, do, you, do you mind if I ask what you do with your day because you're in this monastery your whole life? He said, well, what we do is five times a day we pray. I said, really? Five times a day? That's brilliant. I said, what do you pray? He says, every week in seven days, we pray the 150 Psalms, all the Psalms in the Psalms, book of Psalms. So right through the week, we'll do it every week. We'll get through them all and we'll pray them. I said, what do you do with Psalm 119? It's got 176 verses. He says, oh, we chop that one up in different parts to different days. I said, okay. Now, 
I'm not quite sure if they know Jesus intimately. I, I, I'm not even going to go there. But I tell you what I was inspired and touched by. Apart from the fact, I didn't think it was so good that they were now, they couldn't still go. They needed to act on what their founder had done and go into all the world and preach the gospel. They weren't doing that, but anyway. <laughs> Apart from that, they inspired me because the very fact that every part of, of the waking hours in their life, five hours a day, five to, uh, an hour each time, they would go and spend in prayer. Now, I don't know if it's kind of ritual prayer and it's just, you know, if it's not, doesn't really mean a lot to them anymore, but I'd hope it does. But the fact is, it challenged me about my own life. Now, do I need to, am I saying pray five times a day? No, I'm just saying that you can live the life walking in the Spirit, I think, every day. As you just constantly become aware of His presence and and it doesn't make you kooky or weird. It makes you just more of a human being willing to face the world and tackle the world and love the world. Don't you agree? Walking in the Spirit. Now, I don't know if these guys really walk in the Spirit, but that's okay. I, they were lovely guys. Their food was brilliant. I love that. And in the end, I suppose I walked away appreciating and respecting them for what I could respect of them. And that was their passion, I believe, to love God somehow. So, and I thought, man, God, even if I just stopped myself five times during the day and just said, Father, I just and give him a minute of my time in, in prayer and just I acknowledge you today and I thank you. Even if I did that, that would be a, a good thing, wouldn't it? Even if we just went through the day and it spent, you know, just that time just acknowledging him, maybe just saying, memorizing those verses and, and putting down some goals and saying, Father, I just want more of you. What verses could I memorize today? Or what can I, how can I just walk with you? Because when I walk with him, it's amazing how God speaks so clearly when I open up his word. I say, whoa, that's for me today. <laughs> so clearly. But when I don't walk with him, I open up the Bible and it's like, oh, that's nice. Put it away. And nothing really transpires from the head to the heart. And the heart's never circumcised. It's because my human nature is to be legalistic. I mean, all of us have that human nature to be religious and just go through the motions. But God asks for personal, heartfelt commitment to Him, doesn't He? So today, can we stand? Can we honor Him today for a moment before we close? We're going to close in a song this morning.